Welcome to Stevenson Harwood's Pension Podcast for August 2022. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. I'm Bryn Elwison, an associate in the Contentious Trusts and Pensions team, and I have with me Julia Cooper, an associate in the Pensions Advisory team. Today we are going to consider some updated pensions dashboard guidance, new ESG obligations that will be coming into force in October, and some guidance on preparing an own risk assessment. We'll also be considering two recent cases which consider the topics of limitation and forfeiture. First, however, we will consider the proposed new funding regime for defined benefit pension schemes. Thanks, Brem. Pension Schemes Act 2021 provided for a framework for a new defined benefit funding regime. In particular, the framework would require defined benefit schemes to have a funding and investment strategy for the purpose of ensuring benefits under the scheme can be paid over the long term. The detail of what this would mean in practice was to be set out in regulations. The DWP has now published a draft of these regulations on which they are now consulting. As part of the new regime, a funding and investment strategy needs to be put in place. A key principle that must be followed when determining or revising the funding and investment strategy is that schemes must be in at least a state of low dependency on their sponsoring employer by the time they reach significant maturity. This will require scheme assets to be invested in low dependency investments and the scheme being fully funded on a low dependency basis. A low dependency basis is calculated using assumptions that further employer contributions would not be expected to be required to make provision for accrued benefits under the scheme. The trustees must also prepare a written statement of strategy which will set out the scheme's funding and investment strategy as well as other supplementary matters. These supplementary matters include an assessment of whether the funding and investment strategy is being successfully implemented. The trustee should set out the main risks faced by the scheme in implementing the strategy and how the trustees intend to mitigate these. Additional significant changes that are proposed by the draft regulations include that when trustees are determining if a recovery plan is appropriate, they should follow the principle that the deficit should be recovered as soon as the sponsoring employer can reasonably afford this. The DWP is also considering whether this new factor would have primacy over the existing matters trustees should take into account when setting recovery plans. Thanks, Julia. For our next topic, we will consider a consultation on draft standards and guidance relating to pension dashboards. The Pensions Dashboard Programme has published a number of draft standards and guidance notes for consultation. Draft Pension Dashboard standards set out technical and operational details in relation to the Pensions Dashboard ecosystem. They specify compulsory requirements and qualifying Pensions Dashboard service and pension providers. This applies to both FCA-regulated bodies and those that would fall within the ambit of the DWP's jurisdiction and set out how they must meet the duties set out in DWP legislation and FCA rules. Operating a qualifying pension dashboard service will be an FCA-regulated activity and the FCA intends to consult on conduct of business rules for dashboard providers. Thanks, Bren. For certain schemes from uh, the 1st of October 2022, further TCFD requirements will come into force. Large occupational pension schemes with assets over £5 billion are already subject to a number of climate change-related governance requirements, including a requirement to produce an annual climate change report outlining their governance compliance. These requirements will come into effect for schemes with assets over £1 billion on the 1st of October 2022. 
In addition, schemes subject to these requirements from the 1st of October 2022 will also need to update their compliance systems to reflect the new requirement to calculate and disclose a Paris Agreement portfolio alignment metric. Our next topic looks at some guidance issued by the Pensions and Life Savings Association on own risk assessments. It will be a requirement under the regulator's single code of practice for governing bodies of defined benefit and defined contribution pension schemes to have in place an effective system of governance and complete an own risk assessment. As there is little guidance on how schemes should approach an ORA, the PLSA has produced a guide to address the uncertainty around an own risk assessment and to give practical steps on how to collate the information needed. The Regulator's Code of Practice, which is anticipated to be finalised in late 2022, states that a governing body must prepare its own risk assessment within 12 months of the code coming into force, and then annually, or sooner if there is a material change to the risk facing the scheme or the way it is governed. However, the timescales contained in the regulations are more relaxed and state that an own risk assessment must be completed only every three years and the risk assessment is not due until 12 months after the first full scheme year after the code comes into force. The regulator's view is that the first assessment should be prepared in a timely fashion, taking the legislative timescales as a maximum but preparing the document in a shorter timescale as a matter of best practice. For our next topic, we will consider the case of CMG Pension Trustees Limited CGI IT UK Limited, which deals with forfeiture. In this case, the pension scheme trustee brought a claim concerning the construction and effect of a rule of the CMG UK pension scheme. In September 2019, a question arose as to whether the trustee should pay arrears to members which fell due for payment more than six years earlier. The scheme's principal employer argued that the scheme's rules included a forfeiture provision, the effect of which was to forfeit all sums which fell due for payment more than six years earlier. The trustee argued the relevant rule was not a forfeiture provision and did not have the effect of forfeiting such sums. The rule provided that if a benefit or instalment of benefits is not claimed by or on behalf of the person entitled to the benefit or instalment in accordance with the rules within six years of its date of payment, it shall be retained by the trustees for the purposes of the scheme. The question arose following attempts to equalise members' normal retirement dates and to reduce benefit accrual rates, both of which had not taken effect until a number of years after they had been attempted. The result was that substantial pension arrears had fallen due. The judge determined that rule in question was a forfeiture clause and should be construed on the basis that any benefit or instalment of a benefit which has not been claimed within six years of the date on which it fell due for payment is forfeited. As a result, the entitlement to that benefit or instalment is extinguished. He also held that the rule was not limited to missing beneficiaries but applies to all unclaimed benefits once the six-year period has expired. Our final topic considers the case of PSGS Trust Corporation Limited and Aon UK Limited and others, which considers the topic of limitation. The case concerns a reverse summary judgment application made by Aon in a professional negligence claim. The case was brought by the trustee and principal employer of the Robert Horn Group pension scheme on the basis that it was time-barred. Aon, the defendant, was the provider of legal, consultancy, actuarial and administrative services to the scheme. The claim concerns two sets of amendments to the scheme, one in 2003 intending to close the scheme to new members and one in 2007 intending to close the scheme to further accrual. 
the scheme was administered on the basis that these amendments were effective from those dates. However, the amending deeds implementing these changes were not executed until 2004 and 2008, respectively, leading to pension underpayments and increased scheme liabilities. The trustees and employer alleged that Aon negligently failed to advise them that the changes could not be made retrospectively and failed to ensure that the amendments took effect from the intended date. It was also argued that Aon had a continuing duty to administer the scheme on the correct basis until its retainer came to an end in 2015. The parties entered into two standstills concerning the two alleged errors in 2015 and 2016 respectively. By that time, the six-year primary limitation period had expired. The trustees and employer therefore relied on the secondary three-year period under Section 14A of the Limitation Act 1980. In order to do so, the trustees and employer must not have had actual or constructive knowledge of the errors outside of the three-year period before the standstills were entered into. The trustee and employer argued they did not. Aon disagreed and argued, in essence, that certain advice provided to the trustees and employer from time to time ought to have put them on notice that there were real risks that the changes were not effective from the intended dates. However, the judge found that these separate pieces of advice should not be examined together, and so it was more than merely arguable that the trustees and employer had not been put on notice. Consequently, the judge did not strike out that part of the claim and did not give summary judgment. The judge did, however, strike out the trustees and employers' assertion that Aon had a continuing duty to administer the scheme in accordance with its rules, which extended to the end of its retainer in 2015. This was on the basis that there was no continuing duty to discover earlier mistakes and put them right. That's all for this month's podcast. Further detail can be found in our August snapshot, as well as our briefing on the draft funding regulations, both of which are available on our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. You can listen to this podcast again and subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher or on the Pensions Hub.